Thanks, God. Thanks, everyone. Hello, everyone. Great to see you. Really great to be with you as a, as a church. We're able to do that, um, be with you more and more through lead, and we, it's such a joy to be able to worship the Lord with you and just feel like family together. And uh, It's Pentecost Sunday. You're in a series on Romans. We're going to go there in a second, but we're going to start in a book called Galatians. Um, and uh, lock the doors. It's going to be a long one. Not really. Not really. Don't panic. Right. The Galatians chapter 3. I want to just read these few verses to you because the Galatian church was uh, a great church, got off to a great start, and then they got stuck. They got, they got caught up in complicated things that took their eyes off of Jesus. And Paul says this to them, Galatians chapter 3, the first three verses. Because it's Pentecost Sunday, and on Pentecost Sunday, we remember the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, the floodgates of, of heaven opened and have been opened ever since. And the Spirit of God was poured out and will continue and continues to be poured out on the people of God. And right up and through that day until Jesus returns. Amen. And so we celebrate Pentecost today. We think about these things. Well, Paul says this to the Galatians. O foolish Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Who has bewitched you? Strong language. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Here's the question. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? So in this question, he's asking them to think about when they first became a Christian, when they first encountered the power of the Holy Spirit, and he says this to them. How did that happen? What did you do in order to encounter the power of the Holy Spirit, new life in Jesus? What happened? Was it that someone preached the gospel to you, you heard the message and believed? Or was it that you got caught up with the Jewish law trying to keep that? It's a rhetorical question. He's writing to Gentiles that have got into lots of Jewish stuff. He's writing to them. He's saying, come on, let's just think back. How did this thing start? And uh, the answer is, is that it started when they heard the gospel and they believed it. And through the simplicity of that, met with God in power. That's what happened. But then he goes on. He says this. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Then he asked the question again, but this time it's not past tense. Now it's present, ongoing, continuous tense. He says this. Does he who supplies, not supplied, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? So we first encounter God by hearing the gospel how and believing, how do we go on encountering God? Hearing the gospel and believing. It wasn't a trick question. It continues how it started. And the reason I want to bring this before you today is because I'm going to preach the gospel to you today through the book of Romans. And I want you to expect, as you hear the gospel and believe the message, to meet with the Holy Spirit. Okay? I want you to expect to meet with God, not just after I've preached, but while I'm preaching. I want Akin to come with me wherever I go. <laughs> Akin makes me feel like the best preacher in the world. I want you to be in faith that as I unpack the gospel and proclaim and declare Jesus Christ to you today, that the Holy Spirit will come in power 
will pull open the curtains. And for those of you that have never really met with the Holy Spirit, you've never really known Jesus personally. You might be here because you know someone who knows Jesus. You might be here visiting. You might be here because you're interested. You might be here because you got dragged here. But you don't know the Lord. That as I proclaim Jesus to you, that the Holy Spirit will open the eyes of your heart and you'll get it. And for those of us who do know the Lord, but we just long for a fresh touch from the Lord. We want to see Jesus. We want to continue and ongoingly see him in all his glory. New facets, new, new layers of Jesus. The unsearchable riches of Christ. I want to ask and trust and believe that the Holy Spirit will be doing that as I preach. So Father, we commit this time to you. I just say, Lord, here I am. Very, very weak man. Nothing special about me whatsoever. So very normal. Speaking to very normal men and women. But speaking about an extraordinary God. And we want to pray that you would be so extraordinarily honoured through this message, as you have been through the songs. And that the result would be that you become even more honoured in our hearts. Lord, God, we thank you for the open heaven from Pentecost. We thank you for the outpoured spirit. And I want to pray for faith, my brothers and sisters, that they wouldn't just hear, they would hear with faith. Thank you, Jesus. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. And I want to pray, Lord, that as, as promises are spoken, as words are spoken, for that divine enabling to lay hold on it and say, that's mine. That is mine. And I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let go of it. So graciously move among us, I pray, Lord, as I speak. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go to Romans together. Romans chapter 6, one of the most wonderful chapters in the whole Bible. You guys, you've been, you've been in Romans. You've looked at chapters 1 to 3, where Paul paints a bleak picture that all humanity um, are lost, all our humanity are fallen, whether you're Jewish with your history with God, with all of the kind of Moses and Abraham and the scriptures and the oracles of God and the promises of God and all of these things, or whether you're a Gentile, someone who, who before Jesus would have had no real history with God into idol worship and all of that, he paints a very bleak picture that all are under sin. All of us are lost, all of us are fallen. But he doesn't end there. But what he's doing in that, you think, why does he do? Why be so negative? Because he's removing every false foundation. So that when he goes to speak of Jesus, Jesus can come in as the only way he can be received, which is the foundation. You can't build Jesus onto your life. Jesus comes as the foundation, which is why we need to clear away every other thing we've built our life on if we want Jesus, because he's the cornerstone. And in the old days, when you laid your cornerstone, the, the, the whole of the building would be determined by that cornerstone. And so when you receive Jesus, you receive him as the cornerstone, which means that you're saying, from now on, Lord, all that I become and all that I do is going to be built on and shaped by you. And so he clears away human pride. He clears away self-righteousness. He clears away these ideas that we're better than other people or that maybe we've got something to commend us to God. He says, no, we're going to get that all out of the way, because all of that will keep you from the gospel. All of, that, all of that will keep you in a place where you're kind of defending yourself still. And as long as you're defending yourself, you can't receive Jesus. 
As long as you've got reasons for why you're not that bad, reasons for why you don't need forgiveness, reasons for, reasons for why on earth would God judge me? As long as you're in that place, you're in that headspace, you kind of think that you're, you're better than other people. As long as you're there, you're in a very difficult position because essentially you are holding off the grace of God. You're holding off the mercy of God because you're saying, I don't need it. And so Paul clears it all away. And he speaks, he speaks to people that have got no, no kind of, um, no love for sort of God whatsoever. And he speaks to people that are self-righteous hypocrites. You think they're better than other people, more spiritual than other people. And he just clears the whole lot away. And then he begins talking about what the life of faith in Jesus looks like. A completely different thing. Based on a foundation of Jesus Christ himself and the grace that abounds in him. And he starts to use these words about abounding grace in Jesus. And he starts saying outrageous things like, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Outrageous things. He starts to suggest that the worse you are, the more God will, more mercy and, and, and power and, and favour God will aim at you in order to pull you back from that darkness. Rather than we tend to think the worse you are, the, the, you know, somehow God is going to move more and more away from you. The Bible says, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. You go, what? Are you serious? And he begins to paint this idea that you're standing before God has really, at the end of the day, not got anything ultimately, fundamentally, in one sense, to do with what you've done and what you haven't done, but it's about who you're associated with. Are you associated with Adam? the head of fallen humanity and, 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 and essentially considered and charged as guilty because you're associated with him or have you come out of Adam and been associated now with Jesus Christ? And this incredible glorious truth that all, all that kind of, all the glory, all the righteousness, all the splendor and glory that Jesus has by his own self, his own being, his own perfect righteousness through association with him, that you come into all of that. It's simple, I mean, and it completely moves away all this idea. Am I good enough? Aren't I good enough? The answer is none of us are good enough. We settle that. So we can, we can put down all of our masks where we try and show people that we're, we're, not, we're not that bad. I am that bad. I stand before you on the platform today, so I am that bad. Left to myself, I'm a coward. Left to myself, I'm self-obsessed. Left to myself, I'm bitter. Left to myself, I do not forgive. That is who I am. Okay? My masks are off. Left to myself, I'm lustful. My masks are down. I can, how can you do that publicly? I'll tell you why. Because I do not rely on any of, any of that sense of self-righteousness anymore. It means nothing to me. My righteousness is based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. My faith in him and his perfections have made me completely right with God. That's why I know I'm going to heaven. When I face God, I will not be telling God about what I've done and how I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'll simply say, Jesus, my trust is in him. Now, if you're hearing me right, you might have a question forming in your head, which is Romans 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's a very good question. If you're asking that question, you've heard what I've said. 
If you're asking that question, you've heard the gospel properly. If your gospel preaching never causes someone to say that, you probably haven't preached the gospel. You've probably preached some message about self-righteousness where someone tries to do better as a result of hearing what you've said. When you preach the gospel and someone hears it, it should lead to that response where they go, hold on a minute, are you serious? Are you telling me where sin abounds, grace abounds more? Well, if I want more grace from God, maybe I should sin more then. It's actually the question follows logically from what Paul's been saying. But listen to what he says. He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Don't you know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, that's very, very theological and very in-depth. Essentially, he's saying this. He's saying, well, the reason the answer is no to that is because when you come to know Jesus, it's not simply that you are made righteous based on his righteousness alone and not your own. Something happens to you. When you cling to Christ in faith by the power of the Holy Spirit, something happens to you that the theologians call union with Christ. That you are, through faith, you are joined with him to such an extent that it's not simply that you are counted righteous because you're in him, but actually God, God looks at what Christ has done on the cross and, and you are considered to be there with him, dying to sin on the cross, through baptism, being buried with him, and then coming out of the water representing newness of life. And elsewhere, Paul talks about being enthroned, seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. And the whole idea is this, is that you have been joined to Jesus through faith. And just as Jesus died to sin, not his own sin, but all the sins of the world on him, you through being joined to Jesus, you've died. And there's something final about death. You're not unconscious to sin. You're not sleepy or dozing around sin. You're dead to sin. You're dead to sin. Now, Christians at this point often get it when they say, they sit and they go, well, I can't be because I sinned the other day. And they begin to think straight away about their experience and what goes on in their mind. And they begin to build their doctrine and off of their own personal anecdotes and personal anecdotal story and then wonder why they never get through to a place of victorious Christian living. Because that's not how you should do it. Here's how you do it. We take these words and we start to believe them. And as we start to believe them and consider them to be true, the most extraordinary thing happens. The Holy Spirit begins to transform us in the very ways that we think and speak and act. It's supernatural. It's not just optimistic believism. There's a gospel reality that as we actually take it in and absorb it and believe it. Remember the Galatians? You heard the gospel and you believe. This is the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that all those who are in Jesus Christ died with him. Jesus was buried and all those who are in Jesus were buried with him. Jesus rose from the dead and all those who are in him have been risen from the dead into newness of life. Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God and all those who are in him are now currently in this moment while you might be sitting here in this hall, you are also enthroned with Christ in the heavenly places. That is true and faith says, yes, that is mine. And as faith takes that and embraces it and, and, and lets the Holy Spirit work, I tell you, what begins to happen is transformation. 
Let's see how it works. Let's read on, shall we? Verse 6, verse 5. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You're joined to Jesus. He died and rose again. Well, if you're joined to him, guess what? You're not going to die and then stay there. Like for like, you're united with Jesus. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I had the opportunity to become a Christian when I was about 16 and I said no because I was enslaved to a particular sin. I was so powerfully in its grip. I thought, and I thought Christians don't do that stuff. So I can't be a Christian. I'd got it the wrong way around. I'd got it the wrong way around. What this is teaching here is that through turning wholeheartedly to Jesus and believing in him and through union with him and through knowing who you are in him, you suddenly realize, oh, chains are off. I don't have to sin when I'm told to sin. I don't have to sin when I'm tempted to sin because I've died, I've been buried, and I've been raised. I'm a new creation and I don't serve the old master anymore. This is where Paul is going with this. This is what he's saying. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives to God. So you also, so you also, it's all about Jesus, and it's so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The life of faith is considering yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I consider it by the power of the Holy Spirit. When I look in the mirror, what do I see? I see someone crucified with Christ. I see someone buried with him. I see someone raised to new life. I see a new creation. I'm not what I was. You have a spell bound with awe or you don't believe me. I don't know how to read the silence. These are big truths. These are awesome truths. How we think about ourselves, how and who we consider ourselves to be, shape the course of our lives. They shape the course of our lives. Who do you think you are? There's a question. Who do you think you are? Now, we all know the right answers. I'm not asking that. I'm asking you, who do you think you are? Paul says elsewhere, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Why would, why would Jesus do this? Simple, it's love. God has never been under obligation to do anything, hallelujah. God does not know what it is to be under obligation to do anything. He's completely free. But he came for us. Why? Love. He loves us. Love can't, you cannot, it's the craziest question in the world is why do you love me? You know, sometimes if you're, if you're married and you get into like a bit of a soppy moment with your husband or your wife, you go, why do you love me? You know, <laughs> anyone do that? Maybe it's just us, okay, it's fine. Why do you love me? Or you're feeling a little bit down yourself, why do you love me? You know. And you know, we're kind, we try and give each other reasons, but underneath all those reasons, there's just that, because you're you. And I love you. 
That's the answer. I love you because I love you. That's how love works. It's not, I love you because, I, imagine if I said to my wife, yeah, I love you. Here's why I love you because I'm just started, I've got a list somewhere. Where is it? Yeah, no, it's because, it's because you're really good at this. Well, I, I'm building a weird thing there. She's probably maybe starts happy. He's being really responsive. As I go through the list, she's going, oh, this feels weird. There's all these things I love about her, but why do I love her? She got my heart. Anyone, anyone will say amen. She got my heart. Why does God love you? The Bible says that God pursues people from free electing love. He comes after people. He begins to draw people to his son. Why? It's love. You know why? Because it's love. Yeah, but why love? Don't try and find reasons in yourself for it. It's the love of God. It's transcendent. It's unstoppable. It's immeasurable. The Bible talks of the heights, the depths, the widths, the breadths of the love of Christ. It's beyond knowledge, beyond understanding. It's love. And it's powerful, life-changing love. And brothers and sisters, that's why he came for us. And so you can, you can know in your heart of hearts that you, you being joined to Christ is not something he's did out of duty or done out of obligation, but it's been done out of love. So there's so much joy in it. When you know you are loved in this way, there's so much joy in it. I'm united with Christ because he loves me. The joy that that brings into our hearts and into our lives. And it strengthens us and it liberates us from the power of sin, which promises us so much. But when you know the love and the joy of being united with Christ and being a new creation, and I'm not who I was anymore, and that sinks in by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, please, would you open our hearts as we speak and think about these things. As we see it and as we know it, it liberates us from the power of those evil desires that live in us and are in us and that will be in us until the day we're in glory. But we no longer have to live under their dominion and under their rule. Victorious Christian living. In the chapter before, Paul says, those who, reign, those who reign in life are those who receive abundance of grace and receive the gift of righteousness. Not those who try harder. Not those who try harder. Those who receive the abundance of grace and, and the gift of righteousness. Not those who receive a trickle of grace. No, that's, that, that's fine, Lord. That will do. I'll be fine with that. No, those who receive the abundance of grace. Those who say, Lord, I want to be more and more aware of your outrageous favour over my life. And as I receive that and live in that, I will leave the power and the brutality and slavery to sin behind. Atkins excited. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Don't let it. Sin has got no authority over you anymore. Amen? You've got a new master. You were under sin. You're not under sin anymore. You're under grace now. You don't have to jump when sin says jump. So don't let it. See, Paul doesn't start here. Paul doesn't start by saying, come on, don't sin. He starts by saying, no, realize who you are. Realize, consider these things to be true. By faith, consider who you are in Christ. And from that place, now you're in a position where you're going, I don't have to be bossed around by my sinful desires anymore. I've been set free. That is, that is revolutionary. Let not sin. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. He means like your body. Don't present your eyes, what you look at, your tongue, what you speak about, where you go. Don't present your members to, 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 for unrighteousness. Now, why? Because, well, he goes on and he tells us. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. 
since you are not under law, but under grace. Sin will not have dominion over you. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. By no means. And really the burden of this passage that Paul is bringing and my burden to bring to you today is for you guys to know that through the grace of God, through the gospel, through the power of the Holy Spirit given to us through our union with Christ, we can live very different lives. We can live very different lives. When I finally came to Jesus two years later, when I was 18, and gave him my life, I was, I was genuinely bowled over by not just that particular sin, but let's think about that thing that held me back those two years before. The, the power of it was not the same. And I'd, I'd been kept in this prison because in my head I was thinking, I can never deal with that. But then through being joined to Christ, who has all power over all darkness, I found that there was a power at work in my life that surprised me and enabled me, empowered me to say no. It was extraordinary. That is the power of the gospel. That's the power of Christ in me. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the Christian life, brothers and sisters. And it means that we no longer have to be pushed and pulled around by the various things in us that we know are dark and that we know are wrong. We don't have to live under that anymore in Christ. But if you're not, if you're not in Christ, you are dealing with desires that are more powerful than you. You're dealing with forces that are beyond you. You need to understand and realize that. For some of us, we're more stubborn than others, and it takes years of trying to demonstrate to ourselves that we can before we realize but the reality is we're dealing with powerful forces here and there is only one name and one person who has the power over the dark forces of sin. That's Jesus. Hallelujah. And he has conquered sin. And he has conquered darkness. And he has conquered everything that works in, inside of us that takes us to places we know we shouldn't be doing. Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. I want to finish... I'm not going to do the whole passage because it's long and it's dense, but I want to finish with an illustration that will hopefully... Paul switches the metaphor in chapter 7. And I'm going to end with this and give us an opportunity to just freshly reach out to the Lord. Don't you know, brothers, Romans 7 verse 1, I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband's alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Now, what's he doing here? He's, he's bringing in this idea of the law, which he's spoken about a bit in the run-up, but he's going to really go into it in the sermon Next time, the rest of Romans 7, really go in depth into it. But he's basically saying, look, the problem with the law is this. The law tells us how we should be living before God, but it gives us no power to do it. Okay? It tells, these are God's commandments, and they're good, they're wonderful, they're holy, they're pure. But you know what? They're all there, but there's no power in them to fulfill them. In fact, worse than that, because we're fallen and sinful, when we read the command, something in us goes, why shouldn't I? The law provokes sin in us. 
So it's not just, it's not a positive situation. It's not even a neutral situation. It's a negative situation. We read God's laws and something in us goes, it's the keep off the grass moment. You know the keep off the grass moment? You weren't interested in the grass, were you? Until you saw the sign. You understand? And then you would go, just, just put my foot on it. Just wanted to see. What happened there? Something in me was provoked by that saying, you don't do that. God's laws. They provoke, we, can, we can see that they're good. Wouldn't it be great if everyone lived like this? We can all say, yeah, amazing. But then in, actually in our hearts, do not steal. That's outrageous. I mean, it's all right for the rich. It's all right for the rich. What about, what about those of us who are born with no money? It's crazy. Why shouldn't I? It provokes something in us, you see. And Paul is saying it's a bit like being married to someone that you can't get free from. Your relationship to the law, it's a bit like that. You go, oh, no. You can't just forget about it. You join to it. It's, 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 you know, for the Jews particularly, it was given to them. But earlier on, he said, even the works of the law are written on the hearts of all of us. We know what's right and what's wrong. There's that. But it's like there's this relationship and you think you can't just walk away. That's wrong. That's, you can't do that. That's, you're, 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 basically, you're basically acknowledging that you can't be a moral person. You can't do it. And he likens it to a marriage. You're trapped in a marriage. Horrible marriage. You're married to someone who's always telling you what you're doing wrong, but giving you no power to do it right. No one look at your spouse at this point if you're married. Okay? No, it's not allowed. No, none of that. Okay? He's saying it's like that. You're married to someone and they're perfect. And it's really annoying. Because they never do anything wrong, but they're always, they're always letting you know. Oh, by the way, you know when you did that, if you could do it like that, that'd be a lot better, please. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, by the way, that's what it's like. And he's saying, but you can't just leave. That's immoral. You can't just, oh, I know the Lord does. No, it does. So what's going to happen? Well, here's the thing. Maybe the law will die. Maybe the law will die. Well, the only problem with that is, is, that, is that we're told in the Bible that God's law will never pass away until heaven and earth passes away. That's not going to happen. So we're trapped. We're stuck. Can't just divorce. Law's not going to die. Verse 4. Likewise, my brothers and sisters, you also have died. There it is again. It's a new illustration, but it's the same truth. You've died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another See, you've died. As a result of you dying, you're free from it. And then through your resurrection, your new self, you you can now be joined to another, one who's been raised from the dead, in order that you might bear fruit for God. So now he's taking it to the idea of being joined to Christ. And it's it's sexual imagery. It's probably what's going on here. This idea of coming together and bearing fruit, new life. That's the image that's being put there. You're, You're now, it's not this... Marriage where you feel trapped. You can't do enough, you can't do it right, and you're always getting it wrong. You're thinking, when's it going to end? That's the life of those who are trying to sort of be, be righteous in their own power. Horrible. No fruit. And it won't die, it's going to go on forever. We can't just divorce, that's wrong, that's immoral. We can't do that, we'll be an adulteress. What are we going to do? You die. Oh, I didn't know I could do that. I can die. Yeah. Crucified with Christ and be raised as a new person. Well, you no longer have to be joined to that. You can be joined to him. And now the dynamic is completely different. You're being married to someone who fulfilled the law in himself. You're, being, you're married to someone who is perfe- perfectly, perfectly righteous but welcomes you into their righteousness. 
welcomes you into all that they have won for you. So it's not being married to the perfect person who's always picking holes in you. It's being married to the perfect person. But do you know what? You, through union with them, you actually, all that they have done in their perfection is attributed to you. And so it's a coming together that bears fruit. Because when I'm joined to Christ, and I know that I've been forgiven freely, and I haven't got to keep proving myself anymore, or trying to defend myself anymore, or wear masks anymore, or self-right, I can do away with all of that. When I'm joined to Jesus in this wonderful, beautiful freedom, then we can start bearing fruit. Fruit starts to come. Fruit of love. I can love others. Now why? Because he lives in me, and he's perfectly loving. He's producing it in me. I'm like, I feel... I feel I used to, when I was first a Christian, I walked down the street, and um, I was horrible before I was a Christian. And I'd walk down the street after Christian, and people passed, and I'd think to myself, God loves them. God loves them. God loves them. Just bowled over. You look at people, you go, they're loved. They're, they're loved. What is that? It's bearing fruits growing. Joy. Joy. Just that sense of, that sense of strength and rootedness in Christ that enables you to walk through the storms of life and come out and go, it's not beating me. It's fruit, bearing fruit for God. This is what he is talking about here. It's a wonderful picture that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, that, that means our old lives, before we knew Jesus, our sinful passions, aroused by the law. They were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Amen? Amen. Amen. I hope that just through meditating in this truth today, God in his mercy has rescued you from anything complicated, self-righteous, mask-wearing, defending yourself, pulled you away from that and showed you a better vision, being joined to Christ, dying with him, being buried with him through baptism, raising the newness of life. For those of you that have experienced, you've done that, Lord, we pray for fresh revelation to be filling hearts and renewing minds. We pray for faith. I pray for faith, Lord, to be able to overcome temptations, long-standing, deeply rooted weeds that hinder the harvest of fruit in people's believers' lives. I want to just pray now, Lord, for your revelation, this revelation to come by the Holy Spirit into those areas of believers' lives where, they, where they're basically, they know that it's not what it should be like, but they go, it's always going to be like this. I want to pray just for fresh faith, just Breathe on them now, please, Lord, by your spirit and bring faith for victory there. I pray for those who really struggle to, in terms of outbursts of anger. I want to just pray, Lord, give them a vision, even in this moment now, of their union with Christ. Die to sin. Just pray, Lord, come by your spirit and deliver people, pray, from grips on their lives that's just... It's, keep, it's keeping them back. It's keeping them locked away in, in, in their heads, in rooms, rather than out in the sunshine of what you've done. We pray, Jesus, thank you that you kick down prison doors 
and you lead people out into the light and into the sun. Amen. We pray that you would do that. And I pray for anyone in this room, Lord, who doesn't know you yet. They've never known this. They've not been born again. They've never said those words on their lips and meant them from their heart. They've never said, Jesus is Lord. They've made that confession. They've never passed through the waters of baptism of their own free will as a decision they've made in their heart. They've never done that. Father, I pray that you would draw them to your son today. Draw them to your son. I pray for the compelling work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts right now. Some, Lord, in your mercy, as you kind of closed in on me in love, close in on them in love, I pray. And so show them, so show them this wonderful Jesus, Lord, that they will not leave this place without coming to him and finding new life in him. We pray, Lord, that this church would be strengthened in grace, strengthened in the gospel. That there will be testimony after testimony, Lord, in the coming days, weeks, months, and years of victory over sin. We pray it, Lord. Pray for dear brothers and sisters. This will be a church that more and more, Lord, knows the power of the Holy Spirit. In revelation and understanding. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I'll hand back to you.